As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because you often hear about the fear of failure, right? Like that's the one we always hear about, like, oh, if it fails, what am I going to do? But the one that we don't often talk about is the fear of success, because that means your life is drastically different, right? Like if you try this new thing and it fails, you always go back to whatever you were doing before. But if you try this new thing and it actually is successful, Well, that's a completely different ball game. Now you have to probably change a lot of different things in your life to be able to accommodate this new thing that you're doing. So it really causes you to kind of stretch and to be very uncomfortable. Hey, this is Raina Campbell, your chief dream driver, and welcome to the No Parking Podcast, where through conversations and discussions with creators like yourself, We'll find interesting approaches to help you take your dreams out of park, put them in drive, and ride towards success. Hey, Dream Drivers, welcome to episode 144 of the Dreams and Drive podcast. And today, our guest is Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and the host of the popular mental health podcast, Therapy for Black Girls. Dr. Joy's focus is on helping women recover from breakups, and she's passionate about creating experiences and holding space for Black women to become the best possible versions of themselves. And on this episode, we are going to dive into what we can do as dream drivers to make sure we are creating space for ourselves to thrive. So besides learning about Dr. Joy's dream driving journey, we're also going to cover anxiety, depression, and relationships, managing negative self-talk, fear of success, stepping out of our comfort zones, how Dr. Joy manages running a private practice and growing a podcast, how to find a therapist if you're looking for one, and tips for positive self-care and much, much more. So as always, if you are loving this episode when you're listening to it, please make sure to share this with a friend. If you are not already subscribed, if this is your first time listening in, press that subscribe button right now before you forget. As always, I want to make sure you are following us on social. We are Dreams and Drive across the board on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I love it when you guys are out here telling somebody about these episodes because that's what's so important. The idea of paying it forward and blessing somebody else with the with the inspiration that you're hearing today. 
This week's giveaway is with the brand Nikeo, and we are going to be giving away two of their Maracuja and Yangu soothing oils, which is part of their Restore line. It's great for soothing and calming dry and irritated skin, and I love the Nikeo story. I encourage you guys to learn more about the founder, Nikeo Kamochi Grico. You learn about how she went from working in Hollywood to launching her own beauty line and all the success and impact she has had. So if you want to enter to win one of those Maracuja and Yangu, soothing oils just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash win that's dreamsanddrive.com slash win as always our show notes are available at dreamsanddrive.com you guys are gonna love this episode let's get to it hi joy welcome to this episode of dreams and drive i'm so excited to have you on today hey reina i'm excited to be here with you So we were just talking before this about how, you know, the mutual podcast ad swap that we did on each other's podcast brought so many new listeners over to each of our shows respectively. So I just want to on air say thank you so much for doing that with me. Um, It's been a pleasure to have new listeners who've come in from your show. Absolutely. And again, thank you to Barry for her brilliant idea. Yes. And as you guys know, Joy is the host of Therapy for Black Girls, which you probably have listened to or heard about. So we will get into that a little bit later in the show. But first, Joy, you know how I love to go down memory lane, right? (laughs) I love to go down memory lane. So if I had to say what was inspiring you as a child, what were your inspirations back then? How would you describe your your eight-year-old self? So I don't know if this was eight year old self, but Mm -hmm. I know at some point during that around that time, I got in major trouble for like writing a lesson plan on my wall. Like I carved it into the wall. (laughs) What? (laughs) I was like teaching my stuffed animals the ABCs. So I had to write them on the board, which was my wall. um, And I carved it into the wall and got in major trouble for that. That is so crazy. I keep telling people that I think I would have been like best friends with all the guests that I have on the show because I had two things. I used to paint a lot and my basement wasn't finished when I was growing up. So we just had like a washer and dryer down there. And eventually my parents redid the basement. But every day, like you came into my basement, you will find like different paintings of mine on the banister, on the walls. <laughs> and it wasn't it was like full on color masterpieces. And my wow. mom was just like, What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm painting. That's a- <laughs> it's funny, right? But I also did lesson plans, but I did my lesson plans um on paper because uh-huh. I had to distribute them to my students. Oh so I, didn't, I didn't write them on the board. I had to like, You were you know, fancy. Yeah. You were fancy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the dream back then when you were younger? What did you think you were gonna be? I think a teacher, that's what clearly, you know, it felt like I was kind of being inspired to do. And, you know, in some ways, I'm not like a direct teacher, though I have taught a couple of college courses here and there. It does very much feel like what I do as a psychologist and with the podcast is another form of teaching. That's so that isn't it so interesting when you look back and you're like, wow, like the seeds were being planted from back then. Exactly. See how everything manifests. So, you know, you had this love for teaching, you had this desire for teaching early on. How did that 
How did that evolve, you know, in high school and eventually college? Yeah. So in high school, I spent a lot of time like tutoring like younger students. So I feel like that's where my like teaching um, outlet came from. And then once I got to college, I was a psychology major, but my minor was education at first. And so I think maybe one of the very first semesters, we had to do like a practicum in one of the local elementary schools. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was like, yeah, this is actually not going to be for me, you know, because I think it was very different from like spending one hour with a kid tutoring Mm -hmm. versus like all day in a classroom. And I was like, yeah, this is not going to be a good match for me. And shortly after that, I switched my minor to sociology. So I was done with education after that part. I was a sociology major at Princeton. um, But it's funny because psychology was probably one of my worst classes. I had to take psych 101. It was just one of like the requirements everyone had to take it. And I think I had to take that class pass or fail because I just did so horribly on the midterms. Like I don't, it was just something about applying the the theories in real life. Cause we had, my professor was a department head, right? So he was the hardest professor to have for psych 101. And it mm-hmm. was not, it was not fun <laughs> at all. You're probably the first person I've heard that didn't really enjoy Psych 101. No, I liked it, but I didn't enjoy taking the test or anything, oh, right? The like, yeah. So that's why I ended up taking it pass or fail. Um, at Princeton, you have, I think you can, they give you like three classes you could take throughout your time there that you can elect to have it pass or fail. And you don't, it's not counted towards your GPA. Because I don't think I probably would have. I don't even know. I don't even want to think about it right <laughs> right now. <laughs> what what college did you go to again? I went to Xavier University in New okay. Orleans. Okay, so you're at Xavier. You're you're studying psychology. Was it your plan to become a? I guess would it be called a clinical psychologist when you graduated? Yeah, so that actually was the plan. So I did my four years at Xavier, and then I applied to PhD programs straight out of undergrad and actually didn't get accepted to any of them. And so that required me to kind of regroup pretty quickly to figure out, okay, well, what is what am I going to do with myself? Because that was the plan, and now that plan is not coming to fruition. Um, and so it just so happens that another alum from Xavier was the director of the Vocational Rehab Counseling Program at Arkansas State. And she had just written a grant for people to come and get their master's degree in rehab counseling. And it was like a full ride, like completely paid for. So I had never heard of rehab counseling, never heard of Arkansas State, but I was like, okay, well, let me look into this. And since it's like basically a free master's degree in counseling, I think this could be a good match. And it was a great experience. And thinking about what you do now, right, it all... Maybe it was a blessing in disguise that you didn't get those PhD programs off the bat, right? Oh, absolutely. Because the second time I applied for PhD programs, my focus was completely different. Like I didn't even apply to the same programs I had applied to the first time. So yeah, so it definitely helped me to kind of um, further develop like what I had an interest in and where my interest really aligned in terms of a PhD program. During your time studying rehab counseling, what What started to intrigue you about the discipline? Well, I thought it was, you know, like I said, I didn't know anything about it. And so vocational rehab counseling is all about helping people with disabilities to get back into the workforce. So I just thought it was a very cool slant on counseling because it was like a, a great mix of both like 
you know, typical counseling, but also like a lot of like case management and working with people to develop skills and resume development and all of those cool kinds of things. And so it just wasn't anything that I would ever have put together for myself. But the way it all came together, it felt like a very good fit for me. During this time, were you starting to see any uh, strengths of yours coming out? Like, you know, was there something you're like, wow, I'm, I'm really good at this? Yeah, I think I remember feeling very intimidated before my first, like, counseling practicum about, like, whether I was going to know what to say when I was in a room with a client and that kind of stuff. And once I like really got into the program and took a couple of classes and, you know, had some like mentoring, it felt like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty natural at being able to like sit in a room with a client and just kind of listen to them and have them share their story with me. So I feel like still that's one of my real strengths is really being able to kind of sit with a person who may be struggling with something really significant and allowing them to kind of really open up and share their story. So what was your focus when you applied for PhD programs the second time around? So the second time around, I actually applied to counseling psychology programs, which are a little different than clinical psychology. Um, So at least historically, clinical psychology programs have focused more on um, like populations that had maybe severe mental illness, whereas counseling psychology was focused more on like developmental kinds of struggles. So things like um, students transitioning through college and breakups and divorces and, you know, like your normal everyday kinds of struggles. Um, And so that felt much more like a fit for me because there was also a real emphasis on um, focusing on people's strengths. So not so much looking at what um, what kinds of detriments they have or what kind of things they're struggling with, but what do they do really well and how can you help them to build upon those? Mm. So once you graduated and I'm just saying you were thrown out into the real world, right? (laughs) What was the plan? Like, how were you going to start building a career out of this, start making money, start building a life? Yeah. So throughout my PhD program, I always worked with like black women and black graduate students. Like my dissertation was about, um, black graduate students in their rates of anxiety and depression and whether participating in a black grad student association helped with that. And so my whole career in, in my PhD program, really, it feels like groomed me for what I'm doing now Mm -hmm. without me ever knowing it um, because all of my work was really centered on black women and black graduate students. Isn't that how life sometimes turns out, right? Like you don't even realize that it's taking you for a ride until you step off for a second. Exactly. Exactly. So after I graduated, then um, because a lot of my experience had been working with college students in the counseling center in colleges, then that was my first job out of grad school was working um, at the counseling center at Georgia Southern University. And that has pretty much been my career up until this point where I'm in full time private practice. So you're working for an employer and then you moved into your own private practice? Yeah. So. My first job was at Georgia Southern, and then I moved to Athens, Georgia, and took a job at the University of Georgia in the Counseling Center. And ever since moving to Athens, I've always had a part-time private practice on the side. Um, So I would have my full-time job at the Counseling Center, but also see like maybe two or three clients a week in my private practice. That's a side hustle. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I forgot what industry it is. I don't want to sound like... I think there's an industry where you're not allowed. I think lawyers have very strict like things that they're allowed to do on the side versus not. But it wasn't something that you're like the school said, hey, you can't do this. Like, did they know about it? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so most um, most of the therapists who worked in the counseling center with me also had a private practice on the side. Okay. And our schedule was flexible enough because, of course, we're working with college students. So it wasn't just a nine to five. Like some days the counseling center was open until eight o'clock or if we had evening programs, then there was a flexibility in your schedule. So it allowed for you to have at least a half day every week um, off to kind of do your own thing, which was nice. How are you finding clients? In the early days, a lot of it was overflow from the college because, you know, the University of Georgia is a huge school. And so, you know, there are a lot of therapists, but not enough to meet the demand. And so, you know, when it would get to a wait list kind of thing, then, um, you know, colleagues would like refer to me, you know, to see me in the private practice if they couldn't see me in the counseling center. What were some of the biggest problems that you worked through with students? Because I remember being in college um, I went to a therapist, but not through the career counseling. I went through like like the mental health. Um, what do you call it? It was like the actual like mm-hmm. health center. It wasn't through like the counselors were just for like career counseling at the career center. But like, just okay. what were some of the the issues that you you saw a lot of during mm-hmm. your time there? Yeah, there and ever since I have left there, like college students, the main three concerns are always anxiety, depression, and relationship concerns. No matter what campus I've been on, those are always the top three concerns. I'm thinking about my college experience. Yep, that seems about right. right? (laughs) I know during my senior year, the biggest thing was trying to find a job, right? Because Mm -hmm. you spent so much time in school, you have all these expectations about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do with your life. Senior year was just like so stressful. I tell people all the time, I'm so happy. It's over. (laughs) So happy. What were some of the the tools that you gave, you gave students that allowed them to cope better? Yeah. So I think a lot of it uh, for a lot of college students sometimes is related to kind of a clash between what they want to do and what like maybe family wants them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so of course you're going to have a lot of anxiety if you're just not really happy with whatever you're pursuing. Um, so sometimes it was, you know, like just really honest conversations about like, okay, this thing that you're pursuing, you know, is this really the path that you feel like you want to be on or is this somebody else's idea for your future? And if it's, if it's not yours, then, you know, can we talk about, okay, are you going to talk to your family about about not wanting to pursue this or do we need to develop strategies for you to actually follow this thing in a way that's healthier um, if you're going to kind of do the, you know, devote yourself to this for the long run. A lot of anxiety management is really about like taking care of the negative self-talk that you have, because a lot of times we like blow things up much bigger in our heads than they are in reality. And so you have to kind of challenge some of those thoughts that you have about like not being good enough or I'm not smart enough or, you know, imposter syndrome is also kind of thrown in there with that, like feeling like at any point somebody's going to realize you don't actually deserve like all these accolades that you're getting. So a lot of times it was also challenging the negative self-talk that the students had. That is definitely something that I know we can even apply to our own lives, even if we're not college students, is using those same things. Because that self-talk, it's funny because when I ask people or in my, like my listener surveys, like, what's your biggest business challenge? I always think people will say like tactical things, right? Like accounting or marketing. But the biggest thing people say, can you guess what it is? Fear. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fear and doubt. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Why do you think that is, especially as entrepreneurs? Yeah, well, I think especially for like entrepreneurs of color, 
you know, I don't know that we have always had like examples in our family of people who did entrepreneurship, you know? And so I think when you're feeling your way out for the first time, it of course is more scary because you don't have like anybody necessarily to ask about how this is done, you know? So you're really kind of just, you know, feeling your way out and making a lot of mistakes on the way. And because you can't see an example necessarily of what that looks like, then it feels harder to identify with like, can I do this thing? You know, so fear really kind of comes into play a lot with that. Yeah. And I think it's also I think something that also plays in with that fear is will we fear of success? And I think sometimes people say, Mm. how can you have fear of success? Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it can be very, very true. Like, what if it goes right? Will I be able to will I be able to manage it? One thing I used to ask myself is like, what if, you know, what if I lose all my friends if I, you know, I make it right? And mm-hmm. it's like, why am I thinking about that? But those are the things that were running through my mind. I'm sure it runs through a lot of other people's minds as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because you often hear about the fear of failure, right? Like, that's the one we always hear about. Like, oh, if it fails, what am I going to do? But the one that we don't often talk about is the fear of success, because that means your life is drastically different, right? Like, if you try this new thing and it fails, you always go back to whatever you were doing before. But if you try this new thing and it actually is successful, well, that's a completely different ball game. Now you have to probably change a lot of different things in your life to be able to accommodate this new thing that you're doing so it really causes you to kind of stretch and to be very uncomfortable how do you help your you know your your clients who are very nervous or having trouble stepping into that zone or stepping out of that comfort zone Yeah. So a lot of it, again, is the self-talk, a lot of like visualization kinds of exercises. So if if you were successful tomorrow, how would we know and what would your life look like? So we call that a miracle question. Right. Um, So once you can kind of visualize like what success looks like, then we can kind of walk backwards to see what do you need to do to actually get to that place. And that may mean changing up some of your support systems that may mean, um, you know, coming up with like different schedules and things like that. But I think once you can kind of visualize it, then you can develop a plan to actually achieve it. What do you think you see a lot of when it comes to your female patients, especially those who are in the creative lifestyle realms? Like what are some of the big issues that people come to you with? Well, my my specialty in my clinical work is working with women who have had breakups. Um, So definitely that can be because of like career success. Right. Like if, um, you know, this entrepreneurial journey that you're on takes off in a way that maybe your partner wasn't expecting, then that can cause some tension in the relationships and there may be a breakup. Um, So I definitely have talked with women about those kinds of things before. Mm, That is so interesting. I think that's also something that we don't often talk about, especially as black women uh, building brands, building businesses is the sacrifice and the sometimes the struggle for balancing it all. Right. Because we black women are supposed to be everything. Right. We're supposed to be (laughs) everything to everybody and have all the answers. That's actually something I was talking about with someone earlier today is. Why do people think that we're supposed to have all the answers to everything, right? And it's this whole idea of like that can that can definitely affect your personal life. And 
I think it's important to have that balance. So, like, what are... Uh, I feel like I just keep asking you all these questions, like, what are these, what are that? Because I'm just so intrigued by it all. But when it comes to relationships especially, what do you think it is that we really need to keep in mind when we're practicing self-care in this area? Yeah, so a couple of things. The first thing, I think, really involves... Um, a real assessment of whether your relationship is healthy in a way that will allow you to continue with your entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I mentioned, you know, sometimes partners will say they're supportive, and but only until you get to a certain point, right? And so if, if you've not done an assessment to see whether the relationship can actually withstand your success, then that could cause a lot of trouble. And so I think the other part of that then is very assertive and clear communication, which I think we have trouble with sometimes as women um, because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to kind of be assertive with what we need, but that's actually very important, especially if you're trying this new business idea out. You need to be able to communicate with your partner about what you feel like you need, how they can support you. You know, there, there definitely needs to be very clear ideas about how the relationship will grow as your business grows. Those are such good points. And I think especially that point about communication, because if you can master communication in your relationship, your most intimate relationships, right? That's something that can definitely play out into the world and in your business. I hear, um, what's that that quote? Well, they, they say this to men a lot, right? Like a happy wife is a, ha- a happy life or something uh-huh. like that. But uh-huh. I think it also matters like if you... Um, if you're happy in your closest relationships, that will definitely play out into the type of entrepreneur and how you see yourself and how and how much you're able to accomplish. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I also think, you know, another challenge we as women have is this whole kind of grooming that society does in terms of like feeling like you have to be partnered or married or whatever it is that mm-hmm. you choose. Um, you know, and so sometimes that causes some tension with your business dreams, you know? So if I'm feeling like I'm sacrificing too much of this relationship, I feel like my partner is pulling away, but I really want to grow this career, then what do I choose? You know, sometimes it unfortunately does come to a choice. So I do think that's something to keep in mind too, just like the societal messages that we've gotten as women about placing the priority on a relationship as opposed to your career pursuits. If you could put a number, and I'm just trying, I'm asking you this for a reason because I want to lead it into the next question. If you could put a number or you could estimate how many women you've worked with over the years, about how many would you say? I would probably say at least like 500. Okay. What do you think has been, you know, one of the most important personal lessons you've learned about your own self and your own development through working with over 500 women? Hmm. I think that the biggest lesson for me um, is really trusting my intuition. And I think that also comes up a lot with clients, like not, you know, making decisions that go against like what their first mind actually told them to do or to to be. Um, And so clinically, I also feel like I'm really good at being able to kind of read what's going on with clients and to notice things that maybe they didn't even know that they were bringing into the room. And I feel like a lot of that is related to my intuition and just being very in tune with clients. Mm. And along that line, what do you think has been a challenge that you've faced just in whether it's been your private practice work, working with students, or even building the brand, which we'll get into in a little bit. But like what what's some 
a big challenge you had to work through? I think scheduling has been the biggest challenge for me. Like it feels like I'm always doing a lot of different things. And so for me, it really has been difficult to kind of like block off certain hours and days to like do certain things um, so that I don't feel so pulled in different directions. Well, that's actually a good segue into a question from one of our listeners. This is coming from Brianna Watts. Um, And she wants to know, what does a typical workday look like for you? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that is a perfect segue. Um, so right now, um, and and not every day looks the same, um, which is one of the things I really enjoy about private practice is that I can kind of build my day to look the way that I want. Um, so right now I see clients on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I have probably five to seven individual clients and I also run a therapy group for black women. Um, so I do that on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then Wednesdays are my podcast days. So that is when I am recording and doing research and all of that stuff. Um, Mondays are the days I do like uh, interviews, like media, you know, when media reaches out to you and wants you to answer questions for an article and stuff like that. I try to do that and like a lot of admin stuff on Mondays. And then Fridays are like my day off to kind of just veg out, try to get a nap in once I drop my kids off, you know, like just my day to kind of hang out. It's interesting that you said scheduling is one of your challenges, but it seems like, right, you got this on lock in the sense that like, (laughs) At least you have a schedule. At least you have a plan, right? Because you could have just said, oh, Monday, I do this. And I think, on, but you at least, I think what I like about how you talked about your schedule is that you blocked out time, right? And although those individual days might be hectic or things may change, at least you've assigned days for certain things. That's something that I do even with Dreams and Drive. A lot of people ask me, like, how do you get to interview so many people? Or, you know, how do you not lose your mind with doing all this different stuff? And I say Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's what Mm. saves me because I had to just block out seven to nine every Tuesday and Wednesday. That's when I do my interviews. That's when I like, you know, work in editing, stuff like that. And people don't realize that when you make the time, it's there. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think dedicating the days to certain things has really helped, but that's still new. So this is like, uh, probably I'm a month into this schedule. Oh, okay. Okay. So if I had talked to you like two, two months ago, it would have been a little, a different answer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm telling you, it really helps. Like it really helps. And I think it also helps set expectations for other people. Like I, I say to people, Hey, if you want to be on my podcast and I ask that you are available during, you know, these two days. And if you're not available now, we can, definitely wait you know a few weeks out until you are because what I found is if you don't give people the parameters or boundaries I know you talk about this in your in your work a lot is you know setting boundaries I've had to set boundaries for even my business oh absolutely people will love to tell you oh, I can't do this time you know can we do 12 p.m on a on a Friday and I'll say sorry <laughs> but <laughs> if you'd like to be on this show <laughs> like, right these are the of course you know if you're Oprah I'll, we could work it out right clearly but clearly. <laughs> it really does help <laughs> So, you know, I want to get into therapy for black girls. So when did you launch the podcast and why did you launch it? 
uh, I launched the podcast in April of 2017. Um, and so like you and a lot of your other guests, like I listened to tons of podcasts. And so it always felt like something I would likely do, but I don't know that I knew I would was going to like launch in April. Um, but it was really important to me. So I had already been blogging on the Therapy for Black Girls website, but it felt like I could do something different with the podcast that I wasn't quite able to do with blogging, um, especially like the episodes where I will um, like do a case with like a fictional character. So like if Olivia Pope came into counseling, I love like, that one. <laughs> she needs yeah. it, right? She really needs it. <laughs> oh yeah. Absolutely. You should be her, her counselor <laughs> on the I finale or something. <laughs> I hope we get to see some of that before the season ends this year. I really her do. and Elise. Cause Annalise, I don't know what she's been doing these past years. She just, mm, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so those kinds of things I feel like translate much better when you can hear like me by myself or me and another therapist talking about it versus like reading it I really feel like it has like given a new life to um really helping people understand what happens in therapy you had this idea did you know anything about podcasting or did you have to teach everything or teach yourself everything from scratch Oh yeah, I only knew like how to listen to it for myself. Like <laughs> other people's, I didn't know anything about like how to put it together. Um, and I actually took a course called the Healthcasters, okay. um, that is designed for people who are in like the helping professions who want to develop a podcast. Um, and so that really helped me to kind of understand all the mechanics behind it and like how to pick a topic and all of the different stuff. Did you know you were gonna name it Therapy for Black Girls, or was that was that what your blog was named before? Yeah. That was my blog already so it felt like a natural extension to keep it you know a consistent name so how did you react to people because i'm sure you may have asked people who said you know why therapy for black girls why not therapy for all girls i really haven't had that much of that because i feel like i um like surround myself with people and colleagues who like get why i do the work that i do mm-hmm. now of course i have seen like random comments in a facebook group or whatever that talk about like you know like why the need to be a segregationist or whatever um but there's plenty of research to support why i need to be doing what i need to be doing so people tend to un- you know kind of step back out of their position when you can present them with numbers and data did you launch to crickets or did you launch to people saying wow i want to learn more I launched to people saying, wow, I want to learn more. Like it, it definitely took off much quicker than I anticipated. Like I figured people would like, like it eventually, but I did not anticipate the speed with which it took off. What contributed to that? I think it has just been word of mouth. A lot of it has just been like people listening and saying like, oh, I really enjoyed this episode. And then like telling all of their friends or people sharing it on social media. Um, I think a lot of, again, and this feels like it's connected. A lot of my listeners, I think, are college women. And so, you know, like if they're in a sorority, then they will tell all their sorority sisters or like they will spread the word around campus. Um, and so it feels like that has been a large push for me, too, is college student, you know, driven. Yeah, I think it's about like if we think about marketing, right, it's like about finding your audience and you had an audience or you have an audience, I should say, that has a serious need for this these conversations. Like where else can we talk about this stuff? Right. So we right. try to talk to our parents. They, some of them are too old school to be like, hey, just read a book. Right. You don't need, <laughs> you don't need this therapy counseling stuff. Right. Or exactly. if we try to go to our partners there, they don't even they need it themselves. Right? So it's like. Where do we go to have these conversations? So I'm so happy that you started this because 
think about it, it hasn't even been a full year yet, and the impact you have made has been so incredible. Yeah, it it really has been like, you know, the emails that I get from people who listen that, you know, talk about like how they learn something new about themselves or like an episode really touched them and they're going to reach out to a therapist now because of it. Like, it's all I would have ever imagined, you know, and I, I figured eventually it would get to that place. But to have it like be what it is now has been amazing. Has it been overwhelming? Because I can only imagine, right? Like you launched, but you never thought it would pick up that quickly. Like how are you handling, managing all the response and the demand right now? Yeah, that, you know, and again, you know, like, like I mentioned, well, I don't know if I said this distinctly, but like I was still working in a, in another like almost full time job until January of this year. Mm-hmm. So all of this like speed with the podcast and like the directory and stuff like has taken off while I was also working. And so it, it definitely felt very overwhelming to be able to keep up with that. You know, I have added um, a virtual assistant and a social media manager to the team now. So that definitely has helped. Um, but yeah, it definitely has been overwhelming to have it pick up so quickly. Your directory, was that what Solange tweeted? So I remember you had like a big, what was the big, what was the big media that you got yeah. that just made everything like, I'm thinking of a tornado, right? Like everything just started spinning and going crazy. Yes, it definitely was. It was the directory. So in addition to the podcast, um, therapyforblackgirls.com also houses a therapist directory, which has almost 600 therapists across the country. Um, and most of them black women or other women of color um, who, you know, are willing and able and ready to do individual therapy with people in their, you know, cities and in states. Okay, and that was what got picked up by the media and everyone's really excited about. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I don't even know, like it, it has happened like a couple of different times, like every now and then another celebrity feels like we'll get get a hold of it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, you know, when Solange retweeted it, my website was down for like almost a week. A week? Um, because, <laughs> yes. Because... You should see my face right now. Wow. That is... <laughs> Yeah. So what happened is that, of course, you know, once people saw it, then everybody tried to go to the site at once, which crashed the site. And then like it was an issue with my hosting. So I had to switch my hosting company, which is what resulted in it having to be down for almost a week. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a lesson learned, right? Exactly. Yes. I'm prepared, I think, for another major influx should that happen again. But that's something that you couldn't necessarily plan for, right? Unless you were sitting next to Solange and say, hey, Solange, all right, (laughs) let me go get this new hosting site. And then you press retweet, right? Exactly. Exactly. No, there was no way to plan for any of that. Thinking about all the success you've had, right? Like, what's something that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Like, if you're thinking about the future of the Therapy for Black Girls brand, what's that one thing that you really want to accomplish this year? Um, I'm thinking this is the year I will add some live events. Mm, um, me too. So. It's hard. It's scary, though. It's scary. <laughs> It is. It is. And and I don't necessarily know that it'll be like a live podcast show. And I'm not quite sure what it will be. But mm-hmm. that is the feedback that I'm getting from my community is that people really want to be able to connect. Um, and so it feels like I'm going to have to add some live events to the to the slate this year. Yeah, people have been telling me they've been like, do a podcast tour. I'm like, tour? I haven't <laughs> even had one event yet. Y'all asking me for a tour? Right, exactly. You know what I love about podcasting, though, Joy? I I know you probably feel this way, too, is just being able to engage with people. I think sometimes when you're working one-on-one or when, like, you're 
when you're isolated from the actual people, you don't realize how much of an impact you have, right? But mm-hmm. I really enjoy getting to talk to people. Even today, I was feeling a little bit in my feelings. I'm kind of PMSing too, so I know that it's not all, like, there's lots of other things going on in my body right now. But um, I just was like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I got this this Facebook um, a Facebook comment and this woman told me she had just listened to episode 134 with Lucinda Cross um, from Prison to the Platform. And she just said, Raina, like, I was just so inspired by that. And this is, you know, I know I listened to a previous episode of yours where you didn't know where the podcast would go. And I just want to say this is part of your purpose, right? And just that little comment, it was like, wow, like, why was mm-hmm. I even sitting here doubting myself? Or maybe that was a sign, right? That like, I'll have these feelings, they'll come and go, but there is a larger purpose. Do you ever feel like this is part of a larger purpose for you, what you're doing? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, like I mentioned, like I get those same kinds of emails. I mean, and, you know, some of them are so incredibly heartwarming, you know, like just the impact that it is having on people and that it is helping women to take their mental health more seriously like that is all I ever set out to do. And so the fact that it has happened in this way and has touched people in that way is just amazing. So I'm going to go back to, because Bree sent me a lot of questions. I can't, I can't ask you all of them. <laughs> but she asked me one that I think would be good, really good here. She said, um, how do you manage your emotions and practice self-care considering the load clients may bring on, right? Does it mm. ever, do you ever take home the emotions, experience, thoughts of your clients? Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm asking you that in this whole vein of sometimes you get people who reach out to you, right? And maybe they tell you something very deep or maybe they try to do a therapy session via DM, Instagram DM, right? I know you probably had that, right? People will try to (laughs) go on and on. Like, (laughs) how do you manage all of that and how do you set boundaries in those those cases? Yeah, that is something that I've had to get much better for, better with um, because you're right. Like, I think because, you know, because podcasting is so intimate and like people are having these 30 to 45 minute conversations probably in their head with me every week. Mm-hmm. Um, people, I think, feel like they know me. And even though the disclaimer on the podcast is this is not therapy, I'm not your therapist kind of thing. People, I think, still feel very connected to me, which, of course, is what I want. But it does then result in, you know, sometimes people sending some very intimate kinds of questions through the email or in the DM. So I have had to get very good with um, like empathizing with whatever they're sharing, but then also making sure I try to connect them through the directory with a therapist in their area so that they can talk through more of these issues. Mm-hmm. And I like that you even like in your group or on Facebook, that's also a place where people can then talk to other people. So maybe the onus isn't just on you where they can throw something out there and get some um, responses from other people. But then even that can be a little tricky too, because you want to manage you want to manage the group so that it's not also people just, you know, saying things and then getting all these different responses. That's something I have to deal with, too, is just the whole idea with social media, like how much is too much or like what kind of conversations should I allow or not allow? Right. That's Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like I have an additional layer because I actually have a license. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, as therapists, we are only licensed in our particular states. Um, and so I'm only licensed in Georgia. So people who, you know, want to share all this stuff and like say they want to work with me from different places, like I can't do that. And likewise, like I have to really manage like what people are sharing on social media and in the Facebook group, because it definitely can get too 
too much and could be a liability. Um, you know, so while I'm also I'm wanting to kind of encourage community and people to kind of share with one another, I do have to be very careful um, that it does not become too much. So who do you have on your team? I know you said you you have a virtual assistant and a social media um, manager. Is there anyone else in your team that helps you get the work done each week? Uh, my husband. My husband is my podcast producer. Oh, really? Um, so, say, yes, thank goodness he had that skill set. Like, he comes from a radio station background. Um, okay. That's so... why your podcast sounds so good. I was like, damn, she, she's not even a year in, and that stuff sounds so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and who knew, like, that that talent would come in handy, but it do, it definitely does. God knew. Um, yeah, so he <laughs> is the one responsible for all of that. Like, I think if I had to do, like, the editing and stuff myself, well, I probably would have outsourced it by now anyway. Anyway, okay. um, but I, yeah, all of that stuff is really like still puzzling to me. I don't know all of the the technical pieces of the editing, so he's a huge part of the team for sure. Hey, and you know what? If you had spent all that time trying to figure it out, maybe we wouldn't have so much content from you now, right? Or maybe it would have been a deterrent, and you may have said, "Hey, I'm just gonna go back to blogging." So thank you that you gave it to him, and you <laughs> did what you're best at, right? Sometimes that's the lesson. That's yes. the lesson for all of us is. If you aren't good at it, don't sometimes it's all right to step away and get help. And that can be applied to all areas of our life. Like if you're if you need help, it's okay to say you need help. Absolutely. So, you know, I like that. I like that segue. I'm just segueing all day. Right. (laughs) Thinking about people who are listening to this right now. And I'm going to invite them if they have not listened to an episode of your podcast to definitely check it out. Therapy for Black Girls. You're on every, you know, player out there. What tips would you have for someone looking for the right therapist? Because, you know, it can it's a very important decision. So like, what, what kind of uh, recommendations would you give to somebody? Yeah, so I think the first thing you have to be aware of is like what kinds of things are important to you in finding a therapist. So mm-hmm. for some people, if cost is an issue, then like using insurance will be the, the biggest priority. So if that is the biggest priority, then you would want to start with getting a list from your insurance company of therapists in your area who accept your insurance. Um, and then you want to think about, is it important for you to have a therapist who looks like you or matches you in some way, whether that be race or ethnicity or gender expression, sexual orientation, or all of those kinds of things important. And then you have to kind of weed that out by going to people's individual websites. So typically you can kind of get a good feel for how somebody is and how they practice from their website. Um, a lot of therapists also now have like videos on their websites, which is really cool so that mm-hmm. you can, you know, kind of get a sense, a better sense of like their personality and stuff um, before you actually go in to visit. The other thing is that Mm -hmm. most therapists like give you like a 15 to 20 minute like consultation for free where you can kind of ask any questions that you have and kind of do, again, more assessment about whether you feel like this person is going to be a good fit for you. Make sure that you're not searching for like Instagram therapists in the sense of people who just say like therapists are actually licensed. Right. I think that's something that a lot of times on social media, you'll find somebody who says, you know, I'm a coach. Right. But what you really want is therapy sessions. So you definitely want to make sure. And I'm not the expert here, but I've I've even sometimes thought that somebody was a licensed therapist, but they weren't. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's just something you also want to keep a lookout for. Yeah. And every, you know, like I mentioned, we're licensed by our state. And so you also want to do your research, like go to the state board for whatever that person is licensed in to make sure they don't have like any disciplinary actions taken against them or, and that their license is actually current, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes people will kind of try to skate with uh, a license that has expired or they've gotten in trouble with their board and they're still, you know, tr- trying to practice. So you do want to be very careful with that. Um, The other thing that I would add is that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you have to kind of go through multiple therapists to find the person that's going to be the right fit for you. And I know people hate that part of the the situation because it feels like I don't want to keep opening up and telling my story to multiple people. But I promise you, once you find the person that is actually going to be a good fit for you, it will be well worth the trouble that you went through. Yeah, it's kind of like dating, right? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) You don't give up if just one person, you know, isn't the right fit. Hopefully you don't. Exactly, exactly. So I want to make sure that I ask this question. This is coming from Danielle. Um, And her question, I think, is very important to a lot of us because we're, you know, a lot of us are pursuing careers. She said, I would love for you to talk about the emotional tax that women of color often have to pay as they try to survive in the workplace. How can how can workplace stress bring on anxiety and depression for women who are trying to achieve great things in a corporate system that isn't always set up for them to succeed? Ooh, that is a great question, Danielle. And funny enough, I'm actually interviewing somebody for my podcast tomorrow all about this. So definitely (laughs) stay tuned, Danielle, because you will likely love what she has to say. Um, But I do think that that is a very important question and one that like kind of comes up a lot, um, especially for sisters who are in a corporate setting. You know, there are a lot of like microaggressions and people, you know, just kind of being out of pocket in the workplace and making the workplace hostile. Um, You know, so I think one of the most important things you have to do is to really try to um like make sure that you are making work stay at work and then making sure you have a life outside of the office so making sure you have a strong support system where you can kind of talk through some of those things I think a therapist in that kind of a situation would also likely be really good um I also think it's really important to be documenting when things like that are happening in the workplace because you just never know um what you're going to need to do in terms of like something kind of escalating so I think making sure that you have a log of different things that are happening um is also a really good idea and I think you know I I kind of come from the the thought the school of thought that you kind of always want to be looking for what your next thing is going to be um, unless you feel like you're at your dream job but you know probably a lot of people are not Mm -hmm. and so I think you it's always good to kind of be have an eye out for okay what kinds of positions are out there And if it gets to a situation where it becomes just too detrimental, then it probably is time for you to try to make a move by finding another job. Even if it's not a job that will be kind of on the same career trajectory, you have to think about, okay, if I'm not mentally well enough, then I won't be able to really do any kind of a job. So if, if a job is really kind of taking a toll on your mental health in ways that feel really big, then you may have to kind of consider, you know, a pay cut may be. Um, something that you have to do temporarily to kind of get yourself out of that situation into a situation that's more healthy for you. I agree with all that stuff. So, Danielle, hopefully this answers your question. Um, Joy, I have a, I want to get your opinion on something. So by the time this airs, uh, our listeners will have already heard from our guest, Jonathan Jackson. And on that episode, we really dived into what 
mental health and self-care looks like for black men especially and the thing that we dived into that I thought was really interesting is this this whole idea of this conversation about mental health and self-care needing to be something that starts at the elementary school level right like what if we had classes when we were younger about Mm. you know how to you know how to work through these issues that we're facing or just you know how to communicate and all that stuff like do you think thinking about the people you've worked with, people you haven't worked with, and just the trajectory that our society is going, what do you think about this notion that we need to start teaching our youth earlier about these concepts? Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, and definitely, you know, I feel like some schools try to do this with like the character education piece, Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely is not like far reaching enough. Um, You know, so some of that I think comes from schools, but some of that I think also really has to come from parenting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like really making sure that you are setting a good example for your children in terms of like managing emotions and, you know, how do you handle a conflict? Um, You know, I think sometimes we get into a habit of thinking like, you know, that children like it should be seen and not heard, but also making space for you to, you know, listen to your children and what they're having to say. You know, I think sometimes if we actually listen, we will realize like children are struggling with a lot more than we know. Um, You know, so I definitely think like classes and making sure that we're getting that in the homes um, in terms of like being able to take care of yourself. I know something that I try to do is like to teach my little ones about like how to tolerate distress. So, you know, kind of saying it's okay for you to be upset. And these are some of the kinds of things that you can do when you're upset. Like, can you take some deep breaths or, you know, go and sit in, uh, you know, in your favorite chair and like try to read a book? Like, how do you calm yourself? I mean, I think there are very small things that we can do even very young with children that can go a very long way in terms of, you know, like how they manage their emotions throughout their life. I love that you mentioned that. I'm even thinking about my own childhood, and this is not a knock on my parents, but I remember, like, let's say if I ever went to my parents, my parents are Caribbean, so that's another layer, right? But um, they they would say, like, you don't even know what stress is, right? Like, this is stress. <laughs> and it's funny because if you grow up thinking that you aren't feeling a feeling that you think you feel, then you repress it or you don't know how to manage it. So it's so important, as you said, for us to really teach the younger ones, you know, whether it be our children, whatever, that that is a feeling that is very much something that we're capable of feeling, especially at a young age. Because my Absolutely. parents told me all the time, oh, girl, you're not stressing. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just like, yes, I am. I'm stressed. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, because what that does is then it invalidates the feeling, right? And so then the the child grows up not really knowing how to kind of name or trust their feelings, mm-hmm. which can, you know, cause a whole host of other issues. Yeah, most definitely. So as we wind down, Joy, um, I definitely want to make sure I, I just ask you this question for our creatives out here. What are your top tips for creative entrepreneurs who are struggling to, you know, stay afloat when it comes to self-care? Because I know as a creative, our minds are always going, right? We're idea machines. We have these big dreams, big visions. What are those things you would you would say to, you know, someone sat in your sat in your chair and needed some help with staying grounded? So one of the first things I would do is look at their um, pattern of using social media. 
Um, because I think a lot of times for creative, like I know a lot of times my ideas come from like conversations I have on social media or, you know, different topics that people are having. But I also think that that can sometimes cause you to kind of lose focus of your own lane in your past. Um, you know, so I would, would kind of do an assessment of like, how much time are you spending on social media? Like what kinds of things are you engaging in, in really helping them to develop a, probably stricter schedule of like social media usage. Um, I also think it's really important that you have a support system and that can be other creatives, but it may also be really good to have, you know, people in your circle who are not creatives, you know, so that they can kind of help to balance that out. Cause sometimes when it's just a whole bunch of creatives in the group, then it just is like shop talk, (laughs) you know, versus like if you're hanging out with your friend who's an accountant or something like that, then, you know, you can actually have more conversations about like how you're actually doing and that kind of thing. Um, so I also think that the support system is really important definitely I think I think that's so important because sometimes it'll be like the same conversations right and you need that different perspective because I think let's say for me like my group of friends we're always throwing out ideas we're not we may not be the best when it comes to taking action on those ideas but if you have somebody who's let's say more analytical or more process driven then they might be able to guide that conversation into all right well how do we take these ideas and put them into action and then that can shift the whole dynamic as well so I love I love that you mentioned that so dr joy thinking about therapy for black girls and all that you've been you've been able to accomplish within the next year or in the last year what's next what can we expect from from you and from the brand as it grows yeah so like i mentioned likely i could be in a city (laughs) near Mm -hmm. you um so i am planning to add some live events this year um and i also want to continue growing both the podcast and the directory um you know like like i said we have almost 600 therapists in the directory now but not all of the states are represented so i definitely want to like try to do more outreach to get as many therapists in the directory as possible so how can people submit themselves if they are a therapist listening in yeah, if you go to therapyforblackgirls.com, there will be a pop-up that says, are you a therapist interested in adding your information? And then you can follow the steps from there. Okay, so let's go to our lightning round, Joy. So this part of the interview, I'm going to give you a prompt and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And remember, we're sticking with our whole dreams and drive metaphor. Okay. Okay. All right. The first word is park. Stagnant. Reverse. Reverse. Opportunity for growth. Neutral. Pensive. Drive. Dreaming. Ooh, I like that. Um, (laughs) And if you want to be a dream driver, you have to have your keys to success. So tell me three things that you think every dream driver needs in their toolkit before they hit the road. I think you need a strong circle. You need a good schedule. And you need a coach. Which one of those has, has been the best in helping you in your own journey? I think coaching. What kind of coaches do you have? Um, So in the past, I've worked with Maya Elias, who is like a branding strategist. I know a lot of women work with a lot of, I don't know, has she been on your podcast? Episode 35, your story is your power. (laughs) Your story (laughs) is your power. Yeah, Maya was somebody that I remember when I first graduated and I was like trying to figure out blogging. I've like watched her as she's evolved. So I was like with her when she had her like design agency or something like that. So it's been really good to see her evolve over the years. I love her work. Yes. Yeah. She has been amazing. Like she, I worked with her very early on and I feel like that gave me a very good foundation for what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And your website is bomb. Like, did your husband help you with that or did you do it? It looks really, really good. Thank you. No, that is actually all me. So, well, the the design piece is a template that I found on some website. Um, And then I, of course, you know, inputted all my information. And then I actually had to hire a developer to do the directory piece because that was way beyond my technical expertise. Well, listen, girl, you might you might have a second side hustle with a <laughs> design <laughs> website. This is really, really good. So where can our listeners find you online if they want to learn more about you or engage with your work? Yeah, so you can find me at the hub of all of my activity is therapyforblackgirls.com. Um, I'm also on social media. So on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at Therapy for Black Girls. And then on Twitter, it's Therapy for the number four B-Girls. Okay, thank you, Dr. Joy. I'm saying Dr. Joy because that's how you address yourself to your <laughs> listeners. Thank you so much for for this conversation. It has been such a pleasure. And I know our dream drivers have found uh, have been inspired by what you have shared today. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Raina. All right, so that's a wrap for episode 144 with Dr. Joy. I hope that you enjoyed hearing her dream driving journey as well as her keys to success. And if you love this episode, if you found something worthwhile, if you found something valuable, please make sure that you share this with a friend. My favorite way when you guys share is when you're reposting on Instagram, when you're sending a tweet on Twitter, when you're posting on Facebook. So go ahead and do that. You also can send a text to someone. You can send an email with the link to this episode but just share it with one person today one person is all i'm asking and if you're not already following us on social make sure that you're following us we are dreams and drive across the board on facebook twitter and instagram i love getting in there and the hashtag dreams and drive and engaging i respond to messages i like when you guys are sharing and commenting and engaging in our posts so continue to do that i appreciate it so much if you want today's show notes just go to dreamsanddrive.com and click on episode 144 you know what's really cool that i want to talk about really quickly is a question that i posed on our facebook group so if you're not part of our facebook group come on over and join just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash facebook or just search dream driver mastermind the next time you're logged on but i am really wanting to make sure our group is more engaged so i post this question uh to the facebook group today what's on everyone's to read list this week so kiara boone who was a past guest on the episode she's also reading jennifer lewis's the mother of black hollywood which is a book that i read this week we had Rhonda win who's reading monster loyalty how lady gaga turns followers into fanatics and next week she is going to be reading the black woman millionaire and then we had angie who was reading you were born rich by bob proctor i love books guys i love books i want to keep this conversation going so if you like this whole idea of doing some kind of dreams and drive book club or talking about books more let me know send me an email send me a message or an instagram respond to me in the facebook group I love books. I love this idea of us talking about what we're reading. I need ideas on how I can get you guys more engaged. I want to also start doing this thing called carpools where we're doing like group coaching calls or something like that. So if you guys like these ideas, let me know. Feedback is always welcome. You know how to find me. I'm very, very approachable. So please just 
send me feedback all right don't forget about our giveaway with Nikeo. we are giving away two of the maracuja and yangu soothing oils i love the brand i love the oil i love the founder story Nikeo kamochi grigo her story is phenomenal and what she's doing with Nikeo is pretty cool too so make sure to go to dreamsanddrive.com slash win that's dreamsanddrive.com slash win if you want to enter if you're into beauty you're definitely going to love the product So as far as updates go, guys, I'm really excited about getting back into interviewing. As I said before, in March, I took the month off. I did no interviews. Um, I just kind of wanted to relax and just, you know, just just get some time back and think about how do I want the future interviews to look? What kind of goals am I setting for the rest of the year? And I did just that. One of the things that I am going to implement moving forward is to have a single destination for people to pitch me. The destination now is dreamsanddrive.com slash pitch. So if you want to pitch yourself or if you know somebody who wants to be good for the show, that's where you're going to go and you're going to pitch me. I have all the questions there that you'll need to answer. Um, I just wanted to have a consolidated place because um, I found that a lot of my pitches weren't necessarily giving me all the information that I needed. So this should be a good way for people to know what I want and also just a centralized location for me to keep track of all the pitches that I get throughout the week. So go there, dreamsanddrive.com slash pitch. Also, I want to remind you guys that our Dreams and Drive shop is still open. If you want to get a Dreams and Drive t-shirt, hoodie, or crew neck, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash shop. And I also am selling email templates right now. I have a podcaster guest outreach booking and post interview follow-up template. So if you are struggling with figuring out how to send emails to guests, what to send them before, after, during a podcast process, go ahead and grab that template. They're just $20 right now. Dreamsanddrive.com slash shop. All right, we're going to chat again in episode 145. I'm so excited for that episode, guys. You are going to love, love, love it. Keep dreaming, keep driving, and we'll chat again in the next episode. If you are not subscribed, make sure to do that right now so you get notified when it comes out, okay? All right. Bye, guys. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.